Welcome to the Story Paths podcast, where we explore links between story and culture. I'm Theodore Lowry, your host. I'm excited to announce that, as of March 2023, I've released my first on-demand creativity course. It's on Skillshare, nestled within a library of great creative courses, and if you're not already on there, I've got a link in the show notes where you can get a free month. My course is called Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas. In it, I guide you through finding ideas within your memories, working with them as symbols, and learning to deftly combine and recombine them into meaningful stories. There's a trailer for the course there in the show notes, along with the free link. Hope to see you in there. And so, we begin. We're moving in realms that have this extraordinary power when we're, when we're in touch with them. When the mythological arrives in our life or we're aware of it moving in our life, you know, we feel these currents which are, which are so, so powerful. And then as we move up and we move up and the, the stories that we tell about our culture and our people and our families, they all have particular kinds of power. But it's becoming further and further away from that deep, deep, deep uh, mythos and the, the void power until we get up into the, the gossip and the jokes. We're very, very far removed now from the, the world that we were, we were talking about at the beginning. And yet there's something else that happens that increases as we go up, just as that primordial power decreases. There's a familiarity and a humanness and a a feeling of connection that seems to increase as we, as we go up. Welcome to the Story Paths podcast. Uh, my name's Theodore. I have one of my many names. And I'm very delighted to have on the podcast today a storytelling teacher of mine, Tom Hirons. So for those of you who are not familiar with his work, you'd best rush out and get familiar because you're missing out because he is a poet, he's an acupuncturist, he's a storytelling performer, he is a researcher, you could say, into mythology and, and folk stories and tellings. And from my own experience, I've done a few classes with Tom and I've been really, uh, really rewarded Tom, by your your knowledge of stories and your knowledge of storytelling, and also your very earthy, welcoming nature, and your uh, you know self-effacing British humor. <laughs> My mother's also <laughs> British too, so I, I kind of get that vein, you know. Um, but we're not all self-effacing. No, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, that's just a, a little introduction. Uh, I know with yep. your partner, Rima, you've been doing uh, storytelling performances. You traveled on a bus for some time. Uh, you may well be in that bus now. I know you do some of those things in that very colorful bus. And she's been doing paintings and musical side of things, and you've been doing the performances. And yeah, I've just felt very welcomed into the world of storytelling uh, through your courses and through your own performances. Like it's something that everybody can 
can enter into and begin to learn. And yeah, it's just been really, really rewarding. And so I'm very excited to have this discussion with you and ask you about as many different directions the conversation could go. One thing that really struck me, I'll get into that in just a minute about these different strata of stories. I think that might be a good starting point. And (laughs) my wife is also here, uh, Jessie White, and she may chime in with some questions here and there as well. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> we shall see. Thank you, Bevis. That's a love. That that's a that's a lovely, lovely introduction. Um, although I think I I believe that you, or certainly my experience of you, is that you're already firmly embedded in the world of storytelling, and were so long before you um, started doing any of the the classes with me. Um, so I, I feel like a lot of what I was speaking about was already familiar to you. And um, you were just kind of catching up on some some notes in a way, um, but yeah, it's lovely lovely to speak with you, and I'm I'm really excited to be here. I'm actually sitting in in our kitchen. Uh, we have a, a house at the moment as well, and the, the truck is in the drive. Um, but yes, so the, there's the hum of the fridge rather than the um, the the footsteps of pigeons and squirrels on the roof tonight. Ah, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> Actually, that's how I wanted to open. Um, you know, Ian McKenzie has the Mythic Masculine podcast. Mm-hmm. And actually, I came to know about you through his uh, the weekend that he put together, helped put together. And he often opens podcasts just by asking people where they're situated, which I think is a really mm-hmm. nice way to, to start. As, so you mentioned you're in your home there. And uh, yeah, so you can just say where, you, where you're living and how you're so feeling. So th- this, this home is in South Devon in the UK. Um, so way, way down at the bottom of the, the country. Um, yeah, it's kind of near to Totnes, not that far from the, the Cornish border. Um, we are a little further down the, the long leg that goes out towards the Atlantic than the, the Romans ever really reached. Um, it's an interesting part of the world. It's, we're about just a few miles south of, of Dartmoor which is, um, for those who don't know it, is the closest thing you get in, in southern England to a, a, a piece of relatively wild land, 365 square miles of, of moorland, which still every so often, every year or so, takes a, takes a few people down um, and reminds us that, uh, that there are still some teeth in the old land. Um, mm. It's beautiful, beautiful, um, powerful place full of ancient monuments and you know, stone rows and mounds and stone circles and things. I mean, incredible, incredible landscape that I, I love very dearly. Um, but yeah, here we are in, in South Devon in this most peculiar of times, um, all kind of holding our breath in some shape or form, seeing how the future unfolds with um, with COVID and it's kind of this particular iteration of that um, that story. And I am I'm at a uh, I'm at a cusp point in many many aspects of my life at the moment, and particularly with stories and storytelling. So maybe maybe we'll get into that later. Mm. Who knows? Um, I've got two young sons uh, who, in the, the world of 
um, speaking with with people beyond my um, my community, they go by the names of Genghis and Vlad. Um, those aren't their real names. Um, <laughs> and Vlad was was up at five thirty this morning, and I was I was sitting around a fire until midnight last night. So I'm feeling the the um, kind of slightly jagged edges of tiredness at the edge of things. Um, but I'm I'm good. I'm I'm peaceful. The the day is largely done here. It's, it's twenty to ten at night. Um, mm. and just the right hour to be talking about stories. And I'm imagining that I'm sitting across a fire from you or we've got a, a table in a booth in an old pub on the edge of Dartmoor somewhere, and we're going to have some chat about stories. Mm. I really like this idea of agreeing upon an imaginary space to be in together as well. Mm-hmm. I, I caught up with an old friend the other day, and without really meaning to, Next thing you know, we were on the phone together. Next thing you know, we were walking along a path and it was quite a stony landscape. We had a stone that we were passing back and forth, a speaking stone. And eventually we put that stone in a special place and it was just the most wonderful conversation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We, we have to be inventive. So there days, we are yeah. in an old pub. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The, the sheep wrangler's arms. <laughs> just the arms always found that just funny the those British films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. where's the rest of them <laughs> um, yeah so that's that's really good to know and I, I wanted to ask you it's one of the things you brought up in uh, your storytelling class that I took with you about these different strata of stories and um, you know I could name them or if you want to name them and you know, I'd invite you to, to, to go through them and, sure. you know, what they mean for you, what some examples are, and <laughs> also perhaps uh, in your life now, some that are, how, how some of those are calling to you. I would think especially the deeper, the deeper layers, um, how you might see those, those playing out in your own life or in, in the times we live in. Okay, well, let's, let's see how we go. <laughs> there's, mm. some, there's some big yeah, questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so I, I, I think what you're, what you're pointing to there is something that came up for me in conversation with a friend um, a few months ago now. And as well as uh, running these uh, kind of storytelling skills classes or kind of looking at storytelling and, and how we might get into it and how we might approach it from some different angles. I've recently uh, got into a, a slightly different line of work, which I call a kind of story doctor service. So people come along mm. with a story they're working with or a story they want to tell or, you know, a story that they want to make or this kind of thing. Um, and we, we talk about it and um, I offer, you know, my own, kind of um, uh, perspectives on things and hopefully they go away with, with some something to chew on at least. And we were, we were talking about this story that this friend Kate uh, brought and she was trying to turn this, you know, a very deep story, a, quite a simple story of the uh, kind of um, really an, an underworld emergence and, you know, someone coming out of the underworld and kind of the, the restoration of their power in a way, um, whilst also having a kind of backstory of 
the 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 slow degradation of someone's power and that kind of thing. And while we were talking, um, we we got onto looking at you know what this thing of what makes a good story, um, whether it's written or told, um, and. I was describing this picture that I that I've had for a little while of there being these these kind of crudely put these layers of story and it's it's a crude image it could be made in a, a far more elegant and sophisticated way but this is where I've got to with it of really you know you can you can imagine a spectrum of stories that at the at the root uh, in the base layer. We're down in, what should we call it? We can call it the formless void, um, where really there is no story. There is only, there is only being or kind of what, whatever transcends being and non-being. We're in the kind of the, the ground of things. And then we come up from, from that layer or we move into the spectrum a little and we come into, you know, you might, you might talk about a few other layers, but we come, into what we could call mythos, which is the um, the kind of defining understory of a place and people. Uh, talking about people in in the wider sense of all beings that have some relation to to story in a way, um, and obviously that's that's a wide wide net. So you've got this, these often, you know, in, in the mythos layer, they're very, very simple, but very, very profound stories that don't have a, a lot of movement in them uh, necessarily. They're not kind of long convoluted things, but they're describing the, the real kind of the churning of the sea um, that, that is underneath the, the layers above. And we come up from that and um, through some more layers, and then we come into the, the actual world of myth itself. So there we start to have stories that we might kind of recognize as actual stories. And whether these are creation myths or myths of um, how things how things came to be a particular way, how we learned things, how how that mountain became there, how the sea became there, how, you know, those kind of myths or whether we're talking more um, kind of metaphysical myths, we're, we're in, in that kind of layer, if you know what I mean. And then we come up from that through various, you know, um, substrata into the world of, of legend. Uh, so we're starting to get into the kind of stories that have some location in time in a way, you know, whether it's true or not true or half true or any of the, the shades in between, we're starting to talk about things that, that kind of belong in in some uncertain place, but in history rather than just being in the, in the field of things. And then coming up from that, we're getting into um, what might we have after legend? You know, I've, I've never written this down. I've never um, kind of really articulated it particularly well but coming up from up from legend where are we we're in kind of in historical stories we're in the stories of um that we tell ourselves as a culture about what has happened again whether those are true or not 
um, we're starting to believe or make believe that these have a point in history. Um, so this happened then. These people came, this thing happened, there was this event, things go on. And it's starting to look more and more like stories that we, we recognize um, mm. and might might tell quite easily in a way. Um, and then coming up from that, we're into, what might we come up into? Um, uh, yeah, we've kind of probably passed through some other kind of other kinds of cultural stories that we tell. But then we come up into, there's a bit of a leap in in quality here but we're coming up into the world of folk tales i suppose um is somewhere there let's move up into that one um and some of these folk tales kind of that are a bit further down in this in this imagined uh layer cake of story um you can feel that they've got something ancient moving in them and they're um describing things in very very powerful terms, but have a kind of slant-wise language way about them. And then you come up a few, another layer or two, and you're into folk tales that are a bit more, a little bit more insubstantial in their in their kind of power, um, but start to speak about things that feel a little more familiar in a way. Hmm. And then we come up, uh, and where where might we be? We might be in family stories the stories our families tell you know the the anecdotes um about our family history um where we have come from who did this to to who and that's why this thing and we carried that and how we ended up here and all, all of this kind of stuff um and there are all sorts of those ones of course and, and moving through these pretty quickly and then we come up from there and we're into um, stories about um, stories about things that are happening in the world now, maybe. Um, so mm. yeah, all, all all those kind of stories, um, and you know, they're, they're stories that are just relating things that have actually happened, and then there are all the, the kind of you know, froth and conspiracy about this and about that, and the, the stories that aren't true that we tell. About all of this kind of stuff. Um, and then we might come up into anecdotes of our own experience, our own bio, um, biographical stories might come up into that kind of layer. And then come up beyond that, we would be looking at little anecdotes that we might relate, funny stories or stories that, that taught us something, things that happened um, here and there, that either to us that we've picked up, but little kind of discrete chunks. And then a few layers above that, we're kind of getting towards the top of that this cake now. And somewhere near the top, basically, we've got gossip and jokes uh, and all of this this kind of thing. The kind of stuff that we that we relate to each other when we when we meet in the street or we're sitting in a bar or we're going for a walk in that imagined country. You know, we're, we're right up there in the Ah, yeah, this is on the tip of my tongue and, and coming out now. So there's this, this kind of crude picture of this, this spectrum. And my, my feeling was and is that right down at the, at the bottom of that, that cake, uh, there is great power 
available. You know, right down at the bottom there in the kind of formless void, we've, we're in touch with the absolute primordial powers of, of the universe or of being, um, those, those kind of things. And as we move up, we're, we're, moving in realms that have this extraordinary power when we're when we're in touch with them when the mythological um arrives in our life or we're aware of it moving in our life you know we feel these currents which are which are so so powerful um when they connect with our own our own lives and then as we move up and we move up and the, the stories that we tell about our culture and our people and our families they all have particular kinds of power but it's becoming further and further away from that deep, deep, deep kind of the, 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 the mythos and the, the void power until we get up into the, the gossip and the jokes. And they have their own, their own force, of course, but we're very, very far removed now from the, the world that we were, we were talking about at the beginning. And yet there's something else that happens that increases as we go up, just as that kind of, uh, kind of primordial power decreases. There's a familiarity and a humanness and a, a feeling of connection that seems to increase as we, as we go up. Yeah. Mm. So my, my feeling and my picture of this was, well, stories, you know, all of these are stories. And wherever a story is located primarily in that cave, it seems to me, at least, and I haven't tested this against all the, all the stories I know by any stretch of the imagination, but it makes sense to me that my favorite stories are the ones that are located anywhere from way deep down to right up at the top. But wherever they, they live, wherever the, the kind of the main body of that story exists in that, in that cave, if there are roots that go down, far far down and tap into as deep down as you can go and there are branches of the story that come up into the highest layers and so the story includes in some way whether it's explicit implicit just an echo or some sense of there being some existence in the in these other layers then those are the kind of stories that i love and that i think both carry great power and a feeling of relatability and human connection and it's like the story has got its arm around us and you know we're having a chat with an old friend rather than you know if we're just located down towards the bottom of that that stack we're kind of standing naked in the void with all the seething power of the universe all around us but we've got kind of nothing to hold on to and so yes that's extraordinary but it can't find its way into our human heart in the same way as a story that's, that has some, some location at, towards the top of that stack. That's, that's my picture, and that's, that's what I'm working with. And that's come out of listening to stories and telling stories, but it's also come out of a lot of thinking about how to write stories. So I, I write as well. Um, you know, primarily poetry these days, but um, I'm still working on on stories and novels and and that kind of thing. And there's always this question of, you know, how do you how do you create a story 
that has both that great power and that uh, way of getting into the into the human. It seems there's an element of a vertical and horizontal aspect to it happening. So the the depth that's there reaching the broadness of the human connection. For sure. I mean, that this could, I was thinking about this just before the call and a, and a, a far more elegant picture would be uh, something that's wheel based and has more dimensions than just this kind of vertical thing. Um, I haven't really explored a, a sense of horizontal nature in that, but you could, could you put them on a vertical and a horizontal axis? One thing that comes to, to my mind, Tom, and this is, this is like, I love talking about this. <laughs> this is just great, you know. One thing that comes to mind when you were speaking, these different examples are coming to my mind from different cultures and different stories. I was thinking um, I spent quite a bit of time in India with the bhakti tradition. So then mm -hmm. the deepest layers would be the play of God. Mm -hmm. um, with Tolkien, for example, the deepest layers uh, are the Valar. There's this, there's one original being who was singing and, mm -hmm. and from that being came more beings. Um, and then one of those beings sang in a disharmonious way. And from that, the rest of creation with all its mm -hmm. conflict came. Um, I mean, someone might argue that that's a little up from the very bottom already. Depends on how you look at it. But I was, I was thinking, yeah, of Tolkien, of what I learned in India, Christian tradition, Judeo-Christian tradition, Buddhism. And they've kind of each got, they each exist on all those different layers. And certainly mm -hmm. like with Buddhism, for example, the, the Buddhist scriptures may not get into so much uh, ancestral stories, I'm not sure, um, and folk tales and things, but the Buddhist, the people who are Buddhist would certainly have all those things. So a person in a tradition would have stories on the various levels. So yeah. that if we're speaking about horizontal, then it might be uh, how different cultures, different mythologies inhabit uh, those different strata of depth. That's something that comes to my mind. Absolutely. Um, when, when I was first thinking of, um, of this picture, um, my mind went to uh, in the Tao Te Ching. You know, it talks about that the Tao generates one, one generates two, two generates three, and three generates the ten thousand things. And really, when you're in the one, or the, the Tao and the one and the two and the three, there's not a lot of possibility for story. You need you need ten thousand things to to have a lot of actors in a story so for example with that that example from tolkien you know it's like yeah that's that's a beautiful set of images and you know great metaphorical um power in those images but there is there is no story there really i mean not a story that um that has much much real mm, um grit to it mm -hmm. not many twists and turns just there were many divine beings singing harmoniously with each other. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, <laughs> and then, and then in in Buddhism, uh, as as you're describing, you, you, there's something in in the heart sutra you know the, the form is emptiness emptiness is form form is not different from emptiness it's not different from form or however it goes um that's describing something of the same uh and it occurs to me that kind of my i guess my favorite experiences are ones that um you know tickle me all the way down to the the root of my root chakra and um make my tip of my crown chakra fizz you know mm. it's like i want i want everything involved um yeah. so i think i maybe i'm i'm greedy with stories as well i want i want all <laughs> all the bits to be present or at least some some kind of flavor of them um yeah yeah i agree and i'm thinking of tolkien as well because you know there's this amazing mythology and there's the the original singer and the disharmonious song and everything and there's these great ancient kings uh, and these lineages and these folk tales of lovers and and so on. And then eventually you get all the way to the hobbits and they are super relatable because they're mostly talking about what they like to eat. Completely. <laughs> how great that is. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. Stealing vegetables yeah. from the neighbor farmer. And it's like it's super relatable. And then they enter into this world of, of you know, great histories on all these different levels. Uh, yeah, so different stories on different levels. That's right. So if the if the Hobbit was the story of you know of, of Bilbo, um, you know, scrumping apples and um, <laughs> looking through his cheese collection, um, you know, it wouldn't have any root going down into the into the mythic. Um, but as soon as he embarks on that journey, um, you know, there's there's other stuff starting to happen. But even in the in the Silmarillion and in the kind of the early stories, the unfinished tales, and all of that kind of stuff, it's kind of hard to get really involved until mm-hmm. you've got some characters. Yeah, and it's totally. hard to get involved with those characters until they've got some um, some actual kind of characteristics uh, right. that that separate them. So there's a there's something in in the, in the separateness that uh, allows us to to relate and to, to find our human connection. So even in a story, you know, an incredible story like the um, Baron and Luthien, you know, um, beautiful love, tragic love story. It's mm. super super powerful, but the characters they they're not you can't quite get close to them in mm. the way that you can get close to. The, the flaws in you know in Bilbo or in, in Gandalf or Boromir or, or whoever or the dwarves in the Hobbit. Um, so we we need the um, it's not just the flaws, but it's it's the vulnerability. It's the, yeah, vulnerabilities, and um, I would I would go so far as to say just just the the, the branch tips. You know that we we need that how how these these beings are actually in their lives rather than them just being kind of ciphers really. Um, you know, everyone hates that if they're reading a book and you just get the sense that a character is there to represent some some power that the author wants to um, wants to explore. But once mm-hmm. they have a life of their own, suddenly we're much more able to to have feelings about them. Um, whether we loathe them or love them or, or some mix of the two. Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a really good. Yeah, 
um, point you're making about connecting, you could say, the surface to the depth. And uh, yeah, I, the I, magic of that meeting place of the two seems yeah. to be the fertile place. And of course, Absolutely. in our own lives and in our own psyches as well, isn't it? Because we have our, each of us, you know, we eat and every day and we go to the toilet and we, you know, make it in arguments and we are happy sometimes and sad other times and disturbed about the news and all these sort of, you know, what we would call pretty mundane things. Um, and at the same time, I think, you know, we look for, we look for depth in our life. And even in those mundane things, what does it indicate? You know, what is, what might this be the tip of what might be underneath this strife in society or within myself? And then it can lead us into, uh, into folklore and into mythology, into religion, into spirituality, into relationship with the land and the cosmos and into investigating the inquiries and the, what's been left by others who've those depths who've gone mm -hmm. into those depths mm -hmm. yeah for sure and you know in in pure storytelling terms you know one of the things that we're we're most interested in in um in the, the act of storytelling is um speaking in such a way that images are formed that can meet an image in the, the person who's listening. Mm -hmm. And so the, when we begin a story, you know, if, if we begin an anecdote um, with clear descriptions of, you know, in the way that we've started this conversation of here I am, I'm in my mm -hmm. kitchen and, you know, doing this and there's the hum of the fridge and, you know, there's the, the washing up over there and um, no, there isn't any washing up. It's all pristine because we really, really tidy house. It's, just, it's great <laughs> being on podcast um, uh, and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, if we speak about that rather than saying, just going straight into yeah, I was at a cusp of, of my life um, and, uh, you know, I was undergoing a descent in, in this kind of fashion. And we, if, we, if we speak in the, in the language of, of psychology or psychotherapy, so immediately with um, describing the, the, the physical, um, you know, and the kind of the most mundane, we, we're putting little hooks that, that the listener can can relate to that experience and it's like yeah i've got i've got a kitchen and i make coffee and yeah i've got a fridge and you know all, all of all of this kind of stuff um whereas if we go into kind of the, the broad language of metaphor straight away mm. we're kind of at sea and even if we can relate to the to those experiences, and it sometimes works obviously that we can do that um but for a, you know if you're speaking to a, a wider audience um we need to to help them we need to lay a pathway, you know, weave this thread, as I talk about in the workshops. Um, and part of that is using the, the detail of the 10,000 things, because that is where we live. Yeah, you know, it makes me think of the relationship between the physical and the metaphysical, you could say, or the, um, you know, the tangible and the, the psychological Um like in regards to metaphor and symbol, I'm not sure exactly how one would define 
metaphor or symbol, but for me that would be a something physical that signifies something non-physical. So a tree, for example, has been used so much in metaphor, and it, it, mm -hmm. it you know, it uh, roots down and it reaches up. That's one thing a tree does, amongst many other things. So then I might say, well, I want to dig down into my understanding and my life and my vocation. I also want to reach up to my understanding of God and, and so on, like the tree. So mm -hmm. that, that very abstract uh, concept is then uh, connected to the tree. Yeah. Um, and it helps me to understand it and it helps me to live it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it seems like with with the tangible of our of our everyday lives or our sensory experience that far from being a kind of inhibition to lofty metaphorical spiritual thought it can be a kind of vessel for it yeah or a way of because it is the same reality it's different parts of the same reality different maybe degrees of solidity might could say um mm -hmm. And so kind of a way of, of, of grounding, of holding uh, what might be otherwise difficult to grasp, esoteric, you know, metaphysical, metaphorical concepts. Yeah, and that I, I, I totally agree. And, and think also that it's, there's, there's a power in it, which is not just about making it um, kind of easier to grasp or easier to understand or e easier to picture. But there's something in the use of um the material around us to uh mm, to approach the divine yeah that has has an honoring of our actual existence as well if that makes any sense yeah this is something uh Jesse has, in our conversations and our relationship, has really brought more to my attention, I would say, as well, is this, you know, we have kind of transcendent and imminent, these two concepts, mm. like, you know, God. Are you, are you more of a formless dude? Yeah. <laughs> well, kind of, you know, the, the transcendent, right? That which is beyond the source of all things. Yeah. This is but one among many planets, that kind of thing. Sure. And then she's coming more from not denying that but yes but that transcendent pervades the imminent and gives meaning to everything and there is transcendence within your everyday life you know mm -hmm. to go to the monastery or the desert absolutely but there's a kind of uh there's a kind of renunciation in that transcendent part yes. isn't there yeah and you know i've i've always been um you know i've i've, I've got a lot of that in me as well um but as soon as i came across um kind of vajrayana teachings in tibetan buddhism for example you know where which is all about using the obstacles um obstacles i, I would put in um in quotes there but using the material of of your existence as the path it was like yes that that speaks to me because mm. this mm. is because because actually this is beautiful <laughs> and this is extraordinary, you know, to the, the life force, um, 
to be yeah to be to be alive to be experiencing um all of the incredible beauty and horror and the whole spectrum of, of things that we do in existence um to use all of that and to honor all of that as being um made of the same stuff that we are trying to you know experience when we when we're approaching that kind of transcendent way um it's like yeah this is this makes it whole yeah and the impermanence there's a bit of this um in renunciation you see like this uh oh it's all impermanent so what does it matter sort of mo like this mood and I find that the impermanence is actually what makes it so precious and um, that mm-hmm. that the element of mystery is there behind all of the matter unfolding in an impermanent way. So I really see that as being um, the gift of this world and this experience is the impermanence and to not sort of um, try to get around the impermanence by just renouncing it all. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, it could be said, you know, there's nowhere to go anyway. There's, there's no difference between here and there. Ultimately, if we're, if we're getting into that kind of um, conversation about the nature of, of it all, um, if, you know, this, this is, this is just as much it as, as, any transcendent experience um so it's so yeah one's own perception isn't it that's something you know because we have a sort of metaphor of you know like heaven being above hell being mm-hmm. below or yeah. enlightenment being above uh ignorance being below mm-hmm. it's a kind of spatial metaphor um yeah whereas of course above is literally constantly changing because the span the planet's spinning around <laughs> you know but but yeah that's sort of it's also kind of a value judgment or of a kind of thought of going somewhere well but, i mean it i don't i don't know whether it ever needed to be a value judgment you know so for you know in, in norse cosmology you know um obviously there's tree and it's not just any tree it's more specific than that you know it's it's an ash tree it's Yggdrasil uh, mm. and you know in the in the upper branches you have particular kinds of stuff and in the roots you have particular kind of stuff um, and you know we've yeah there's we, we could speak about this at length of the reasons why we have um, uh, prioritize the above rather than the, the below. Um, but in kind of reasonably intact mythologies and ones that haven't been um, completely annihilated by um, certain worldviews that need not be named, um, <laughs> there, there, there is, a, you know, there, there's great, great respect and power for the, the under. And mm-hmm. there's great respect uh, and power for for the upper. They just have different qualities. Mm, um, good point. You know, so I've been. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, the, I was telling um, some of the story of of Inanna um, mm. earlier this year, um, 
I don't know if you, uh, we did a recording of it. Um, and, you know, in, in that kind of cosmology, and you know, we're talking thousands and thousands of years old, it's, it's a different picture, you know, and it's definitely below and it's definitely above. And, you know, that we, we are, we are beings that have an, an up and a down, you know, my feet are definitely usually below my head. Um, if things are going, um, kind of right <laughs> in some ways. And, um, so, so yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a difference. Um, you know, crown chakra is different from the root chakra. Um, the sky is different from being in a coal mine. Um, but it's the, um, I'm looking for a word that I can't find. It's the, the valuing of, of that upper as more than that. Below. I wonder if that's something that largely came with Christianity, with the idea of heaven being above and hell being below. And of course, that's a value judgment. And then, well, above it's, below, it's certainly tempting to, it's certainly tempting to blame them. <laughs> I feel it's more of an energy, like an inhale and an exhale would be, you know, the rising, the rooting. It's a bit like the inhale yeah. and the exhale. And yeah. one thing I, I really um, have been noticing lately is in the collective consciousness, there's this like explosion of the the underworld coming out now. It's almost like you repress a force for so long that it just, it's bursting. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's what everybody's starving for now because we've just really been so malnourished in that, in the depth of that. And so a lot of story, it seems, comes from when you're talking about, you know, our cross-cultural archetypes that we have Mm -hmm. across the planet. It's like the earth speaking through the culture. And that force is, um, yes, it's very mysterious. And it's the darkness. It's the energy of the the womb. Um, And uh, it, it feels so prevalent today. For sure. I mean, it, all of that great sonic power of what is underneath, whether we're approaching it through the, uh, through the lens of things that have been kept in the shadow, uh, and are starting to find their way out or that yearning that people have to, to become whole through, through finding out what's there or whether we're looking at it maybe through the lens of um, a state of deep pain and grief at how things are in the world, or through uh, another entry point of actually life being really fucking shit, for a lot of people, you know, mm. um, these are all entry points to the underworld. These are not heavenly experiences, and mm. that—that's where where we are at. You know, whether we are in our, um, you know, point not not one percent comfort um, and, and privilege, or whether we're, um, you know slaving our guts out to serve the machine. Um, the underworld is, it's kind of inescapable at the moment. 
Mm, it's like a, an initiation, whether we're whatever spec, wherever we fall on the spectrum, it seems to be a collective initiation. Initiation is a, a tricky word. Mm. And I hesitate to use it very much, especially about this kind of stuff. And other people have, have spoken far more eloquently than I can about, you know, there's a lot of conversation about is, is this time an initiation? And, you know, the, the, the question then is, what is it an initiation into? You know, initiation always leads into, into something else. But it is certainly a, a, has the potential to be transforming, um, uh, thankfully, you know, for, for those of us who have some agency in how we move through the underworld. And I want to kind of just go back and include again those who don't have any agency and who, whose life experiences is actually kind of more deeply embedded in that underworld. Um, so there's a, there's a movement and emergence from the underworld. I don't think necessarily is, or, or kind of journeying through the underworld, I don't think is necessarily an initiatory experience. Um, it's definitely changes you and my experience and various times in my life of, of various underworlds. Um, you come out the other side and, you look at your hands and your skin and your flesh and you're like, am I made of the same thing that I was when I went in? And what are all these, what are all these pots I'm carrying? What's in here? And you, you come out with all this strange, strange stuff that you then start to unpack and hopefully use as gifts for the, the people around you. Um, but initiation, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm cautious with it. Yeah, is that because the element of choice to ignore it is always there or because you feel perhaps it's not quite the inaccurate? I I think it's I think it's the the latter. I think it's just not quite the right term for it. Mm-hmm. Um I'm uh and that might just be um pedantic. But <laughs> but I think it's um you know, when we talk about initiation, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of context we need about what's what's really happening and what what is being moved from and what's being moved into, um, and how the forces around us are um, acting as as agents to help or hinder that that initiation. Um, I think, you know, a lot of what is happening is, um, is something that happens in the absence of initiation, looks like it, but doesn't have some of the essential qualities. It doesn't have that movement from, from one life stage or from one life situation to another, um, which happens in, you know, reasonably intact cultures, as far as I know. Mm. I have heard the suggestion, uh, and this, this, well, I'll just say, uh, I have heard the suggestion that in the absence of intact culture and of elders 
who have been through these stages themselves then still because that the calling for going into the next stage of understanding or the next stage of life is there in an individual and in a culture that a kind of messy, unguided, more dangerous initiation may be initiated by life itself. For sure, for sure. I mean, you, you, can, you don't have to look very far to see that, that happening um, all over the place. And it's like these kind of half-completed, three-quarters completed initiations that people are attempting to, to put themselves through in order to um, fulfill the, the deep, call whether it's conscious or completely unconscious to to grow and mature into something approaching um uh, uh, a whole adult you know mm. I, um i was reading something um bill potkin was writing about in his most recent book mm. um he's probably mentioned it before but it was this reminder that you know that we, we talk about elders and you know where are the elders and where are the elders and his his reminder is really, it's where are the adults? Let's not even talk about elders yet. Yeah. <laughs> most of us, we're, you know, we're, we're adolescent at best, you know, with a, with a, a few fragments of, of things that look like adulthood, but we really not, we don't know a lot about how that looks. And so, um, so yeah, certainly speaking mm. from my experience, I know I've put myself through situations again and again and again that have had some, um, kind of similarity and kind of mimicry of initiatory process. Um, but without, uh, without a clue as to how to, how to make that experience into something that, that has the necessary mix of the sacred and the profane to, to, form an initiation and without a culture there to meet me on the other side of that and kind of pull me through the the membrane or help me step through it or however we want to speak about it and then welcome me into that new life stage and show me uh kind of the ropes in a way so we're all trying to do it ourselves in our our beautiful and fumbling and terrible ways um and you know that's that's where we are that is where we are we are born into a broken culture with very key components almost completely missing you know instead of rites mm -hmm. of passage you know you get a driver's license and you're able to get some alcohol when you're old enough and there's your rite of passage into adulthood, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so insufficient. And um, yeah, those of us who are in what we'd call colonizing cultures are have previously been colonized. Where that started, that's a whole question. But here we are uh, <laughs> doing the best we can, becoming aware of these lacks. Mm-hmm even without being directly exposed uh, to living examples for a lot of us mm. or, or a culture that is intact, still we have this sense, this innate sense of what an intact culture is and does. Yeah, we can hear it. We can hear the, hear the yeah. echo. It, it we still are still sings. human. 
Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, you know, to, to go back to the underworld um, adventure, mm. such the wrong word, but, um, uh, <laughs> you know, in the absence of exploration. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm now imagining kind of Bilbo with his, his rucksack just kind of hopping on down to the underworld. Um <laughs> singing a, a daft song anyway in 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 the absence of intact culture the underworld experience has the possibility of allowing us to encounter um you know something essential in our nature and something essential in that nature i think still carries the the resonance and the song and the the memory the kind of bone memory if you like of of that of intactness yeah and so whilst whilst it's not necessarily an initiation that, that we undergo while we're while we're trudging across that desert or battle battlefield or however we want to picture it and we emerge we have allowed ourselves to hear more clearly that singing echo of of the goodness and the rightness and that can then inform our actions and our um our unfolding story back in midgard or the upper world or however the, the map looks um and i think that's that's our way in really yeah we may be able to again live into a culture which is coming back to the well, we've been on the strata in different ways um which is living simultaneously on the different levels mm. yeah as yes, opposed to more just on the surface which is you know a lot of what modern culture is quite close to the surface and divorced somehow from the depth yeah and also being Context is always shifting, so it seems access points are always shifting as well according to the context of the, the now, the current now that we're in. Mm -hmm. So how something looked 100 years ago will have another component to it, and that, and that is kind of the pulse to always be feeling for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, 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 yeah, it doesn't look the same. There, there are... There are aspects of it, um, you know, in the, in the very matrix of it, which are the same, but the appearance, the face it wears, um, does change. Um, but one of the, the hardest things, I think, about making that kind of soul encounter, if we use, use that language, um, through some kind of underworld journey and the the collapse of all the things we know and all of that is that when we emerge from that underworld, one of the things, or possibly while we're still in the underworld, one of the things that we have to face is the searing, painful contrast between the, the melody echo of that kind of primordial goodness and the fact of the world that we are emerging into and inhabit and the the fact or the distinct possibility that we are now past the point of no return in well certainly mm -hmm. point, past the point of no return in the you know extinction of 
vast number of species and the desecration of this beautiful um, place that we we all share. And that's one of the you know that's a, a that's a hard slap in the face as soon as you emerge from from that place. Yeah, and we don't have a community to hold a grief circle to enter us back in and sort of weave that experience back into us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, the the brochure for that particular journey is is not a particularly appealing one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might risk being in a mental hospital for the rest of your life. <laughs> Take that journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you but might yeah, not be able to get out of bed. <laughs> yeah, completely, you know, and you you may cry for a thousand years. Um, you know, but I, we we talk about grief circles. I I also think that we um we require um you know, tending the, the other the other emotions as well. Um and there are places beyond the grief. You know, I've, I've talked about this before in, in, in other conversations where, you know, the, the love for existence and the, my, yeah, my passion and devotion for the life force um, does go beyond that, um, that painful, that searingly painful place of mm. ah we fucked it um, it's a stretching of the heart it feels a stretching to hold the grief and the joy simultaneously yeah 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 you you need uh, kind of nimble nimble heart feet to do that <laughs> dance <laughs> I like or that a very still heart, heart <laughs> <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe that's my storyteller name <laughs> and That's here's good. nimble nimble heart feet <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah we were listening to bill plotkin today plotkin today it's funny you mentioned him we were listening to mm. him in the garden here and yeah. he was talking about um coming into an understanding of his own role in this world which for him is like a cocoon maker yeah yeah yeah, and he also said adolescence was, uh, yeah, it's a recent word. We actually, we didn't have a word for it at all until recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I've, well, I've got a lot to... of time for what Bill, Bill Plotkin says. Uh, I, I did some work with, with Animus Valley. Um, oh, you did? And, oh. and Bill, um, teaching them storytelling skills um, earlier this year, um, hmm. which was the most absurd and beautiful proposition because really I felt like, I should have been listening to them and learning from them, but instead they were um, getting the dubious benefit of me talking about the storytelling. And oh, I'm sure you them. shared a lot of goodness uh, with them. Yeah. I'm quite drawn just recently to his work as well. Mm. I find I, I, I'm interested to read read some of his books and, and uh, do, perhaps do get involved and, in some um, way. Yeah, it's good stuff. I want to honor your time, Tom. We're coming... Uh, to about an hour here, and um, sure. it's it's been quite wonderful speaking with you. And I had a kind of intuition of some of the directions we might go, and I'm glad that uh, we've touched on some of these things. Um, I wanted to open it up to you uh, to 
Is there anything you, else you wanted to share on what we've been speaking about? Um, also, you mentioned taking a different direction in terms of storytelling. And also, before we finish it up, you know, where people can find you online. And I would certainly recommend people taking workshops with you. But I wanted to, yeah, first of all, open it up. Is there anything you wanted to say uh, on what we've been speaking Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's, it's been a, a real delight to speak with you both. Um, do, what do I have to say? Um, it's one of the things that I, um, I've noticed emerging more and more and more in the workshops that I've been teaching, whether they're the one-off ones or the longer course. Um, you know, I kind of, I track what's, what's coming up and what I find myself uh, focusing on in those things. And the thing that I've noticed most is a hope to uh, remove storytelling from the arena of performance uh, and return it to this, this thing of just it being a different way of having a conversation with people and with the world, mm. um, a way of, of spending time. You know, it's like kind of people ask, why, why storytelling? You know, what's, what's the point of storytelling? And it's like, well, what is the point of speech? What is the point of, of conversation? Mm. It's, it should be the same. You know, stories, we're in a, a state at the moment where storytelling and stories speaking about stories is becoming more and more popular and has become um, something that people get uh, quite worked up about um, and involved with which is kind of wonderful in some way but my there's, there's something trying to come through me of just celebrating the smallness of the storyteller and of the stories, you know, there's all these powers that we we talk about with stories, and quite rightly so, because they're incredible. They're multi-dimensional beings, as I keep saying. But um, there's something about the not the big storytelling, not the not the one that shatters your your worldview or cracks your heart open or makes the room kind of resonate with thunder. But the small and simple round the fire in the community center, um, cross generational with friends, with strangers, but just the simplicity of storytelling and the fact that it is something utterly beautiful and sacred and powerful, but just quieter in those kind of storytellings. Um, just as those big, large crowd, big figure storytellings have their own wonderful magic. So yeah, and that's all I really want to say is just to um, hold a bit of space for the for the small uh, as well as the big. I love them yeah. both. I'm just curious if in your work, if you if you think that I'm, I'm picturing you like inviting people forward to tell stories in their own ways, or I'm picturing a group of people and, you know, you might invite, well, just a five minute story mm -hmm. or, you know, just enter into this, this world of stories. 
there's there's something, something like, like that, that. Try, to trying to come through and i'm not quite sure what it is yet um mm. and so i'm you know reluctant to speculate or or try and label it but there's <laughs> there's something in in making that making that that circle or that community um of of sharing stories um you know it's we have this this beautiful truck with the stage that folds down and you know i tell stories from that between the playing music and, and so on and so forth and so that has an element of the bigness in it to begin with mm-hmm. but there's something in me that's wanting to use that power and privilege of the bigness of that situation to to bring up the small um and celebrate the small so i'm not quite sure how that looks but um it feels like that's that's something that's trying to happen um over the next few years mm, that sounds very interesting I just say quickly for myself, I can relate with that in my own way. Like I feel a big draw to invite people into imaginary spaces, mm-hmm. you know, just let's just step out of the practical and the everyday and the, you know, this hap- needs to happen next and all of that. And let's mm-hmm. just come into an imaginary space and we'll just play for a while. And then yeah, after yeah. a while, we might find that actually this is a really powerful place to conceive of different ways of doing things from. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Sharon, like uh, Sharon Blackie recently mentioned uh, she was talking about the archetypes and she was saying, you know, this she was interested more so in the Smith, you know, mm. the maybe it's like rather than the hero, rather than the big hero that, you know, <laughs> this, this, um, this sort of small, the unsung, you know, the, the yeah. one kind of underground doing these things is something very medicinal in that very much so i mean we're we're in a pendulum swing now kind of away from the the heroic and the 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 big in a way towards towards the small and towards that um the humble and the unseen and you know the I Ching has a lot to say about those those two two kind of characters um and i hope that we can find a place that that celebrates both in their very different ways, because we do need the other as well. We do need the big. We do need the the, um, the, the headline characters of, of some of those myths as well. And it would be, uh, be foolish to to think that we we don't. Um, but in terms of small storytellings, one of the smallest storytellings I ever did was in Sharon Blackie's Cowshed when she lived on the Isle of Lewis um, <laughs> to, to about five people who had gathered and, and a cow um, telling the a Russian story called Ivashko Medvedko. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. <laughs> we, uh, we got in the habit of singing poetry to cows for a while when they're up in Northern India. <laughs> wonderful. wonderful. Was, <laughs> and we took by their slobbering and chewing that they quite liked it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see some cows really going for some kabir. <laughs> <laughs> well, slaves, slaves to intensity there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, just, so, to, just yeah. to finish, you were, you were asking about where people can find. Yeah, that's work, right. That's and, right. And, and I, I know you've got so, books, beautiful publications, and storytelling classes. So. Um, 
while the storytelling classes are on hold at the, at the moment over the summer, oh. I'm going to be putting putting some more together for the autumn with a, with a slightly different slant from from how for those who sign up so for the far. mailing list, they'll be informed. Ab- absolutely, and they can find that at Hedge Spoken Hedge as in Hedge Spoken as in Spoken all one word dot org, and you can watch uh, loads of the stories that we um, we live streamed earlier this year. Uh, mm-hmm. There's about nine of them now, all 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 over place those stories um so go there for that kind of thing i've got a website as well tomhirons.com where you can find my writing there's a poem that um people seem to like called sometimes a wild god you can buy the book that there and read it there uh as well as a whole load of other stuff um and go off in all sorts of interesting directions and find reams work and, and all of that kind of amazing thing um so yeah if you're listening and you're curious about what that's all about do go and have a look mm. but um but yeah thank you so much for ha- having me on and uh, giving me some time to spraff on with my theories of the universe it's been lovely i've very much appreciated your theories of the universe yeah it's a very <laughs> nourishing conversation well for me Thanks. too so i'm i'm glad thanks for listening If you know someone who you think may be interested in the topics that Tom discussed in this episode, from the strata of story to life-induced initiation in a time of species-wide and planetary crisis, please feel free to share this episode with them. I'd like to end this episode with an excerpt from Tom's poem, Nettleater, read by the author. Nettleater by Tom Hirons Read by the author For the nettle-eaters, fork-leavers, and long-hill-walkers. Nettle-eater A brief account of my year in the company of the plants and spirits of Dartmoor during which time I subsisted on a diet of nettles and learned a small amount of wisdom and a few tricks of cunning. In my youth, I committed black deeds. In maturity, I practiced innocence. To say more than this would only cause weeping and laughter. What good would it do to tell you. I am an old man. Leave me in peace. From the Life of Milarepa by Tsangyon Heruka You know the call. All your books speak of it. If I differ from you, it is only in this. When the call came, I heeded it. What the call commanded, I fulfilled. The call said, Go to the moor. Live wild there. Eat only nettles for one year. This is what I did. 
The first season saw me weak as straw. My limbs shook, my vision shimmered, rollicked and rolled. The world was made of water, and I was a ship, tall on the waves, easily blown. This was my youth in the world of nettles, their taste still unfamiliar, waking in the night wearing fire gloves. My hands were stung to red rags, pierced with pins. They buzzed like ferocious bees. I bucked and retched and buckled, thought I would probably die soon enough. Another skeleton in a gully to be found by walkers in the spring. I was seeking something unknown, unknowable. I knew the names of it. I had read a thousand books describing it. But the beast itself roamed out beyond the edge and in the deep centre of things. Yes, in the fire of fire and the water of water. Eventually, I knew. I had to let myself become so mad that to be in civilization would destroy me. Fall into a state so feral and lost and essential that only the wildest places of the moor could tolerate and sustain me. I walked up the long hill from town into the wild of nettles and ignored the screaming animals of my addictions and dreams and desires. Civilization fell off my back like dust and lies. I felt as if I'd been hunched against a wind all my life. My fists clenched, my eyes screwed tight. Now, the moor and the nettles and my madness told me. Enough. Thanks for listening to Story Paths where we finger threads weaving story with culture. Before we go, I'd like to remind you of my new course, Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas, that is now available on Skillshare. If you're looking for a playful, creative space, this may just be for you. You can find the trailer and a link for a free month of Skillshare in the show notes. And as we part, I send my best wishes for you and yours, in the words of the Irish poet John O'Donoghue, may you realize that the shape of your soul is unique, that you have a special destiny here, and behind the facade of your life, there is something beautiful and eternal happening. And so we close.